0: Let's begin in prayer. Father, please shine the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts. Fill us with the knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We want to meditate on the cross and Jesus' death for us, and we want to absorb and receive on deeper levels or maybe for the first time the benefits that you have designed and arranged for us through the cross. So please help us now. Please help me to serve your people well. Please prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's table at the end of the service. Lord, if you've answered my prayers already and brought tonight anyone who does not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, we ask that you would be, even now, at work to bring them to salvation through Christ. And for those who are believers, who are Christians, who have received Jesus' death on their behalf, Lord, may we trust more deeply in that and find uh, greater security in that and more clarity for our lives in that, more freedom from sin, and more ardent love for you worship. and worship. please do great and miraculous and wonderful, wonderful things here that can only be explained by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you for being here tonight. We want to meditate on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ tonight. And we do this to prepare us for our celebration of the resurrection on Sunday. But there's a great deal of benefit for us to meditate on his crucifixion anyway, apart from it being Easter. And we're going to think about it from a little bit different perspective than we have in years past during this service. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that takes place a couple of days before Jesus is killed. So it's a couple of days before the Passover, before all the Jewish people who had gathered into Jerusalem. were going to remember when God delivered them from Egypt, if you remember what the Passover is. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400-plus years, and God delivered them through these ten miraculous plagues, the tenth one being the death of all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And God told his people, if you will get a lamb and kill the lamb and drain the lamb's blood and paint that blood over your doorpost of your home, The angel of death will pass over your house. God's wrath will pass over you, and you will be saved, and you will be delivered. And so this was a big deal for the Jewish people, and this is what they were about to commemorate. That's why it's called Passover. The angel of death passed over those who had the lamb's blood painted over their doorway. And all the Jewish people who had gathered into Jerusalem were getting ready for this. It was just a couple of days away. During this same time, the chief priests and scribes were scheming how to murder Jesus. And we find Jesus in the passage we're going to read. I'm going to read it to you. I know you can't follow along. It's Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 3. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, Of pure nard, which was very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, to begin with, I just want you to try to picture Jesus here at Simon the leper's house, other people there also visiting, trying to see Jesus. Maybe there was a meal, and he's reclining at table. They had low tables where you would sort of recline with cushions, they didn't sit in wooden chairs like we do. So picture Jesus like that before we work our way toward the cross. He's not right now standing in front of crowds and teaching and healing. And he's not yet kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before the cross. He's not yet bent over beneath the whips of the Romans. He's not yet outstretched on the cross Right now, he's reclining at table with people around and conversation going on and probably food and drink. It's, it's good to picture him this way because I think sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that he was a man. In all the traditions and everything that comes along with Christmas and Easter, we can picture him as a baby in a manger and we can picture him dying on the cross But it's good to remember and picture him reclining at table a couple of days before that. He was a man. He was a person. So picture him there. A woman comes up to him, which is a little bit taboo anyway to approach a man. And she has this alabaster flask. I don't know exactly what shape the flask would have been, but alabaster is sort of a whitish material. And it was very, very precious, very, very costly, it says. And it was filled with this expensive ointment. Pure nard, it's called. And it would be very fragrant and very lovely and very precious. Perhaps it was passed down through generations of her family for her to have it. And she comes up to Jesus, and she does something that would be shocking if you were there. She breaks it, an irreversible thing. It's broken now, and she pours it over Jesus' head. Another irreversible act. You can't scoop it up anymore, and it'll still be pure. It'll have hair and dust in it. Is gone now, poured over Jesus's head. Now let's look at the response of the other people who were there in verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, they were very displeased at this, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Now, 300 denarii is a lot. A denarii is a day's wages. 300 denarii, then, equals 300 days' wages. So, roughly put into modern-day terms, let's just say you make $30,000 a year. This would be about $24,000 worth of this precious ointment. This was a huge momentary expenditure here, irreversibly spent poured over Jesus' head. And so these people are thinking, practically, we could have sold that. Think of what you could do if I gave you $24,000 right now, what you could do for poor people. Think of all the hungry stomachs you could fill. Think of all the cold people you could clothe. Think of all the sicknesses you could address. What would you do with that? You could do so much. And yet here she just blows it. It's just gone. And so they scold her, which would have been humiliating, I think. I mean, here she comes up and and performs this um, extravagant act of worship and adoration upon Jesus Christ. And the crowd doesn't join her, doesn't congratulate her. They scold her. That's a word you use for children. She's really put herself out there, and now she's just being humiliated by these people who are there. But let's see what Jesus' response is in verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. Leave her alone. And I imagine probably silence. And the aroma of that expensive ointment in the air. The scolders are silenced. The woman most likely very relieved that Jesus didn't join in scolding her, that he didn't condemn her for what she had done. And he says, this wasn't a waste. This was beautiful. Why was it not a waste and why was it beautiful? Well, he he explains. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial they would not always have jesus there like that they would not always have the opportunity to break an alabaster flask of really expensive oil and anoint him with it in an act of adoration and in an act of worship and in an act of love Soon, in just a couple of days, that head that now was dripping with that oil was going to have a crown of thorns pressed in on it. And it was going to be beaten and spat upon in mockery. And it was going to be propped under a sign that said, King of the Jews, ironically making fun of him, not realizing that that genuinely is who he was. And then it was going to be wrapped in burial cloths and put in a tomb behind a heavy stone. He says, what she has done for me is beautiful. You're not always going to have me here like this. What she has done is she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. He knew he was going to be killed if you've been here over the last several weeks Last couple of years, we've seen him tell his disciples, I'm going to be killed. When we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again from the grave. They seemingly weren't able to accept this, but he knew it. And he knew it when she did this, that he was going to be killed on the cross. He was going to be mocked and beaten and tortured. He was going to be crucified. And worst of all, he was going to be forsaken by his father. A fellowship bond of communion that had never been broken up to that point. He knew this all was coming. He knew that he was going to die. He knew he was going to be buried. And he wasn't stoic about this. He wasn't unemotional. Because remember, as you picture him there reclining at table, he's a man. He's a guy. And he's familiar with all the weaknesses we have. And he's familiar with all the range of emotions that we have. He's familiar with dread. You know, when you have to face something that you know is right, and you're going to do it, but you know it's going to be excruciatingly painful, the feeling of dread. He knew that feeling. Now, the Bible doesn't say so, but I I can't help but wonder if that feeling was already in him that night at the table. I know that not long after, when he takes some of his closest disciples with him into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to be praying there before he's to be betrayed and then killed, and he tells his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And the Scripture records that he was distressed, greatly distressed and troubled. So here he is, anticipating his suffering, I don't know how emo- much he emotionally was dreading it at this point, but he knew it was coming. And this woman comes and does this amazing act of care and tenderness and kindness and honor and worship. And so, yes, it is an incredible amount of money that is just gone, but it's not a waste. It's beautiful. It was beautiful. And so he says in verse 9, this amazing thing, he says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's a huge statement. Can you imagine Jesus saying that about something that you did? Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, this story is going to be told of what she did. There, near Jerusalem, Africa, Australia, Charlotte, North Carolina, 2,000 years later. That's what an impression it made on Jesus. Now, soon after this, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. There was a meal involved in celebrating the Passover when they remembered what God did, bringing them out of Egypt with the blood of those lambs. And when he celebrated that Passover, he instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper, what we're going to partake of in just a moment. And as they ate bread, he said, This bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And then as they partook of the wine, he said, This wine represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. It's the blood of the new covenant It's the blood that is going to secure and introduce you to an entirely new way of relating to God. And Jesus did bleed. You know, when they pressed that crown of thorns down on his head, he bled. When those Roman soldiers whipped him, he bled. When he carried that rough wooden cross on that mangled back, I imagine he bled more. When they drove the nails through his hands and feet, he bled. When they thrust the spear through his side, he bled. It was very bloody. The Bible is a very bloody book. Israel's history was very bloody, when you think about the blood of all the sacrifices and the lambs. Christianity is bloody. What is it about blood? I did a brief scan, a brief Bible study in preparation for tonight through the epistles, the letters that are recorded in the New Testament after the Gospels, just to see what God has done through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I just want to share with you, without much detail, By Jesus' blood, God's wrath is turned away from us. By Jesus' blood, we are justified, which means made innocent. By Jesus' blood, we are redeemed, which means we're purchased and returned to the rightful owner. By Jesus' blood, our trespasses are forgiven. By Jesus' blood, we are brought near to God. By Jesus' blood, we are reconciled to God. The conflict that stood between us is now turned to peace. By Jesus' blood, our consciences are now purified from dead works to serve the living God. By Jesus' blood, we are sanctified, which means we are called out and set apart from the world for God. By Jesus' blood, God equips us with everything good that we may do his will. By Jesus' blood, we are ransomed from futile ways. By Jesus' blood, we are cleansed from all sin. By Jesus' blood, we are freed from sin. By Jesus' blood, God is ransoming a people for himself from every tribe and language and people group and nation. Now, the woman in Mark 15 could not have understood all this when she came and approached him and busted this alabaster flask and poured out this incredibly expensive ointment on him. There's no way she could have understood the full scope of what God was going to bring about through Jesus' death on the cross. And yet she did. She sacrificed this incredible treasure. She saw him as worthy of that. She saw him as honorable in that way. How much more so for us? Because we do understand all that. We do understand the treasures God has lavished upon us through Jesus' death on the cross. If you've been a part of the church for a while, you might remember that we studied the book of Romans for a little while, a couple years back. We spent two years and three months in Romans. The whole first half of the book is this extended examination of exactly what God has done for us through Jesus. And then at chapter 12, it shifts, and the rest of the book is all about what that means for our lives, how we should live then, in light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. In the very first verse of chapter 12, when he first starts to apply the gospel to living, do you remember what he says? He says, "'I appeal to you, therefore,' Based on this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Like that woman came up to Jesus and gave her most precious, most treasured thing, we come to Jesus and give Him ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices, our our daily bodily activity given over to Jesus Christ, poured over his head as an ointment of worship and honor. That is the reasonable response. That is Christianity. Tonight, I want to invite you, like this woman, to come to Jesus. Jesus. I want to invite you by his blood to let God's wrath be turned away from you. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death, and we can shelter under the blood of the Lamb. God loves to forgive people who will turn from their sins and seek forgiveness through Jesus Christ. God loves to justify guilty people through the blood of Jesus Christ and actually transform them into innocent so that their sins are not even remembered by him anymore and they're as far from them as the east is from the west. We can be brought near to God and present our bodies to him as living sacrifices. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord knows where your heart is with him. I look out and I see mainly familiar faces, folks that are here most Sundays. The Lord knows what pockets of your hearts and what areas of your life you need to receive this gospel afresh tonight. I just pray that he'll work that out there's some sin that clings to you that you can't escape from, based on the blood of Jesus Christ, go to God in humility and pray for him to help you repent and be freed for his forgiveness and cleansing. If you've never received this through Jesus Christ, if you've just been doing church for maybe decades, tonight is the night to receive forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. We'll partake of the bread and of the wine, the drink. It represents Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Now, if you've not received this for yourself, and you haven't made that public through baptism, I want to encourage you not to partake of the communion elements tonight, but to wait. Otherwise, as you come forward, there'll be a, an opportunity for you to pray and linger in prayer as long as you like. You can you can linger where you sit in prayer as long as you like before you come, and you can just clear the slate between you and the Lord. If there's any sin you need to confess and be freed from, if there's any way in which you need to receive his blessings through Jesus' death, you don't have to be a member of Doolin's Grove Church to participate in the Lord's Supper. You do need to be a Christian, one who trusts in Jesus, as his Savior, one who follows Jesus as his Lord. So Jam will play quietly as we go about this. A deacon will dismiss you by row, and you can come forward here, and you can pray if you'd like to at this prayer bench, and there's a space for you to clean your hands, because the way we do the Lord's Table on Good Friday is we actually tear off a piece of bread from a common loaf of bread and we dip it into the drink. And then you can come forward and Mark and I will serve you at the communion table. You can pray, you can linger in prayer at the other prayer bench, you can return to your seat. When everybody's done, I'll pray for us and I want you to feel free to stay and linger in prayer as long as you'd like. If there's anything that you would like somebody to pray with you about, I'm going to have the deacons come at the close of the service and be available to pray with people. If there's anything you need to talk through, they and I will all be here for that purpose. So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for giving us the Lamb of God, an opportunity, a way for us to escape your wrath, And receive instead your forgiveness and your love and your acceptance. Or may we all each receive that and live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen.